in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Dustin Melbarnes, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today are my good friends and co-host from right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Mr. Chad Robinson. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, finally on video, not for you guys, but for our hosts, new webcam, so everyone can see my goofy face. We can see him. Yeah. And from deep in the heart of Texas, Mr. Dustin Melbaris. How are you doing, sir? Just got back from beautiful Spring Branch, Texas, just in time to record with you two fellas. Let's break the ice here. Who's your favorite basketball player? Because we're doing a basketball movie today. Chad, all time. All time? I think it's the Admiral David Robinson. I loved everything about his game. He's a great human being, which is hard to find in great players as well. Loved him teaching Tim Duncan the big fundamental, everything about those Spurs teams. <laughs> Did you enjoy that brief moment where he tried to teach Dennis Rodman anything and it failed? <sighs> yeah. Yeah, that, uh, that's fine. I mean, what are you, what are you going to do about the worm, which may be relevant for today? It might be. It might be. Now, Dustin, how about you? Who's your favorite basketball player? This kind of question causes me some existential stress because basketball is my favorite sport and I have a favorite team, but I don't think my favorite player has ever been on my favorite team. My answer as a young man was Allen Iverson, but my favorite jazz player of all time is Andre Kirilenko. Who had an awesome nickname, AK-47. Nickname, yeah. that is, that's a great nickname. Then he went to the Nets and straightened his hair, and I don't like him anymore. Um, oh, okay. But I, I've always liked super physical big men like Shaq, Chris Webber, Sean Kemp, and now Zion. But I've got a funny answer for this. Favorite basketball player now is, I think, Steven Adams for the Grizzlies. <laughs> <laughs> Just a big, immovable rock of a person, and he looks like Aquaman. He got traded to the Grizzlies, and he got grizzlier and grizzlier himself. Hairier he's a grizzly-looking he's, 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 dude. He's, he's slowly turning into a grizzly bear. When he's ready to retire, he will just become the mascot. It's kind of well-known within like the, the players and the commentators that he's probably the strongest guy in the league. I think he's just a, a lunch pail guy. And my favorite player of all time is Larry Bird. Larry Legend. It's, uh, he's no one surprise there. Yeah, he just he he enamored me as a kid. I just uh, I I loved watching him play. I had like these VHS like specials with highlights, and it's funny you you go back and you see it even as the games evolved. You're just like this dude was on another level, and uh, he's playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers, and it's just uh, it's so fun to watch an unathletic dude. Um, Do you have a favorite highlight of his? There's a there's a major play where Bird steals the ball. And the last second, yeah. Yep, yeah, I mean, yeah, so, and then passes it off to get a layup for the win and in a playoff game. So it was just, that, that's a great one right there. I love listening to Charles Barkley talk about Larry Bird, just his stories of Larry cussing him up and down the court because there was a white guy guarding him. It is funny. You grow up and you don't realize um, 
the trash talk is there as, yeah. as much as you as you later do. So like as you grow older, you're sitting there going like Kevin McHale said what or <laughs> Larry Bird said what, and you're like it's part of one of the losing your innocence kind of moments. So my favorite clip of his, I, I love the the three point shootout without taking the warm up off. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. When he walked into the locker room, he told everybody, he was like, okay, guys, who's coming in second? Who's coming in second? Awesome. Yeah. All right. What's the last movie you saw, Chad? I watched the Netflix Knives Out Glass Onion. Watched that with my wife. It was different than the first one, but I still liked it. It's kind of a different tone, but really enjoyable. Hesitation at first, but sounds like you had a good time with it. Yeah. Yeah. Dustin, what's the last movie you saw? Dustin went to the movie theater. Nice. Saw a new movie this year. I went and saw Avatar. Nice. Oh. I went and saw Avatar 2. All three hours and 15 minutes of it. I will say, visually, I was blown away. I was, I was pleased to have gone. And I'll save other criticisms for 2034, I suppose. <laughs> I've heard the last okay. hour was pretty impressive. There's a lot of things that are impressive. And the reason I went there was for certain action scenes or just mind-boggling eye candy type things. I thought I would get tired of seeing certain things and I didn't. So uh, Cameron deserves some credit, but I think there's some story things that I would get into on a different day, I guess. It'll all be okay. fixed in Avatar 3, 4, and 5. Ava 3. Doesn't have the same ring to it, but I like what you're doing there. So I, I will say what, the, thing, the thing I liked best was I went to go see Avatar 2. I've never seen the first Avatar. It did not matter to me. I chose not to watch it before going to see Ava 2. Glad I didn't. I liked just kind of being like, oh, what's going on? I'm figuring it out. Oh, okay. And then the last movie I saw was James and the Giant Peach. And it was a fun one to watch, but my little man almost got off board. I forgot how much live action there was in the beginning of it. So he almost got turned. He almost turned it off. He had almost had enough. A little too creepy for him. And then it went claymation at just the right moment for him. Save the day in that wonderful Henry Selleck, Tim Burton creation that you left from the nightmare before Christmas is all there for the children's story of James and the Giant Peach. So... Music is not quite as memorable, but it is still strong. So it's a good time. I love this movie. And luckily, my son did too in the end. Very nice. Now, today, as we alluded to, we're going to be talking some basketball, but we're talking about a basketball movie, which is what, Dustin? Coach Carter from 2005. That's right. Coach Carter stars Samuel L. Jackson, Rob Brown, Robert Richard, Rick Gonzalez, and Chatham Tanning. (laughs) Channing Tatum. Keeping it in. Dude, don't, don't. And Channing Chatham. Tatum. Chatham Tanning, I like. Yes. All right. Real quick, there's a character called Pittsburgh Dad through a YouTube series, and he struggles with this name on a regular basis, which now has made me struggle with it. He calls him Tatum Channing or like, you know, like gets it backwards all the time. Or, you know, he calls him like, who's that guy? The Tater guy. In his film debut. Film debut. So Channing Tatum released in 2005. Budget, $30 million. It grosses $67.2 million domestically, so it makes a good return for itself. It places on the box office at 36 that year. Decently strong, especially given when it comes out. It's a dead of winter kind of movie. And Sahara is the movie that places in front of it. The movie that places behind it was Herbie Fully Loaded. And the number one movie that year, and yeah, get ready to groan, Chad, was Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. I'm done fighting the prequels. <laughs> And IMDb gives Coach Carter a 7.3. And the critics of Rotten Tomatoes, a little hard on this, gives it a 64%. But the audience comes to its side at 85%. Now, we do have some awards for this one. The 2005 Black Movie Awards winner of Outstanding Achievement in Directing, 
And the 2005 NAACP Image Awards winner goes to Sam Jackson. And the MTV Movie Awards nominee for Ashanti and her performance in this. And also, it's the People's Choice Awards nominee for Favorite Movie Drama. It's the Teen Choice Awards nominee three times and a Black Reel Awards winner for Best Director for Thomas Carter. Dustin, had you seen Coach Carter before? No. And I think this is the place to say that this was a choice of mine for us to watch this movie. I had said to Russell and Chad, guys, I want to watch a basketball movie. And I started pitching ideas. And our friend Lizzie jumped in the chat saying like, I love Coach Carter. You got to do it. And so I remember in 2005, I was senior in high school. I remember all the hype around this movie. And for 17-year-old Dustin, hype means avoid. Uh, it was contrarian in that way. So I just never watched it. Heard good things, never got to it. So this was my first time. Very happy to have chosen it and watched it. Okay, so it's a good first pass. Now, Chad, what about you? Had you seen Coach Carter before? See, there's a there's a favoritism rank in our podcast. Dustin's like, Lizzie said Coach Carter. We'll watch that. I said we should watch Airbud. So write your letters <laughs> into uh, retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. Tell Dustin how wrong he was. But no, I hadn't seen this movie either. It is a movie I've had on oh, my wow. list for a while. My wife as well. So we sat down. We had a movie night last night and watched it. She was excited. She's like, oh, most of the time our movies will come up. She's like, eh, I can pass. But <laughs> but, but this one, she, she puts her stamp on and said, you're not watching Coach Carter without me. So I Ooh. I had heard good things about this movie. I was excited to see it and I enjoyed it. I had seen Coach Carter. I own this movie. I really enjoy this movie. And I think I saw it in the theaters when it came out. And I certainly saw it again when it came out to the rental store. And then I have, like I said, I've owned it. So I come back to it every now and again. But you know what? I got to say, one of the cool things about this podcast is you get to take movies that you're familiar with, you even like. But then you look a little closer at it, and sometimes that can change things and it can make you like it or maybe just, I don't know, back away from it a little bit. But in this case, I really enjoyed it, and I thoroughly enjoyed getting to know it at a deeper level more. So it's holding up remarkably well, and it's just a great story. So I want to say, if you haven't seen it, you should see it. And we will be back after this because there will be spoilers that lie ahead. So hang in there. We'll be back. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. All right, we're back, and this is your final one. There will be spoilers that lie ahead. Dustin, for those who haven't seen Coach Carter since 2005, do you want to refresh people's memories? 
The Richmond Oilers won four games last year and aren't making any progress this year either, in a school where there's already no academic progress for anyone. Ken Carter, owner of local sporting goods store and alumnus, is brought in to turn the team around. His plan is not to win games, but to mold the players into outstanding and overachieving versions of themselves. The game of basketball will come along with his hard life lessons and physical endurance training. Discipline in academics, social work, and attitude is what he preaches. The players resist his teachings until the success on the court brings them to trust him. This is all while they deal with their own high school age drama, including planning for life after pregnancy, avoiding the allure of the quick money hustling can bring, partying when authority isn't watching, and realizing that the community you live in cares more about the points on the scoreboard than your own personal success. The conditioning as style and punishment turns the Oilers into a running and winning team, going undefeated and winning a midseason tournament before Coach sees that they have been completely neglecting their schoolwork, prompting a full basketball lockout. The community rallies against the coach, and a school board votes to have the lockout ended, which Coach Carter said would mean the end of his coaching tenure. His players, who had in the meantime redevoted themselves to schoolwork, rekindle his faith in his mission, and they go on to make the state tournament, where they dramatically lose in the first round to a generational talent, but remain committed to each other and their now much brighter futures. That's right. Let's talk a little bit. This is based on a real life. Ken Carter is a real life person. And this is a real life news story. So the movie obviously has gone on to touch more people than necessarily the news headlines did at the time. But this is not just a basketball movie. This is, as Dustin's plot summary kind of alluded to, this is a movie about helping youth in their future. This is a teacher movie or a mentor's movie, just as much as it is a basketball movie, isn't it, Chad? Yeah. I was teasing Dustin a little bit over the break his previous dealer's choice was stand and deliver which he also <laughs> right. hadn't seen and i hadn't either <laughs> and this is the stand and deliver crew now doing coach carter and ah. <laughs> and the the stats are really really bad for this school uh they're talking graduation rate of student athletes at 50 percent. i listened to an interview with the actual coach Carter, and he's saying 50% of athletes graduate high school. So yeah, this was something he said, you will become winners by winning through academics. And that that's a really interesting approach. It's a community and that doesn't really have the academic and side of these players back. It uh, They're not helping the teachers. The teachers aren't helping in some cases, and the school board's really not helping they're just saying hey this is a one out of ten school what do you want from us yeah yeah i will say this here i didn't know what stand and deliver was going to be about (laughs) and i didn't know i told y'all i wanted to watch a basketball movie i did not know we were jumping back into the high school mentor (laughs) slash teacher biopic drama i wanted to see dunks and layups and sick passes i wanted to hear an awesome early 2000s hip-hop soundtrack, did not realize what we were getting into. That being said, what a great job this movie does mixing the basketball in with the improve-your-life mission of Coach Ken Carter. 
It does. It does. I think the basketball side of this doesn't disappoint. So, like, if you're a sports nut and you just want to go in and watch good basketball scenes, I think Brian sometimes talks about, I just watch the battle scenes or I'll skip straight to that part of Braveheart and watch Same the battle here. scene and I'll, I'll tune out. And uh, to me, I'm like, if that's how you approach this movie, you won't be disappointed because the basketball, the way they film it's very good. And then on the other hand, there's a lot more to it than just just basketball. It blows my mind that Channing Tatum had never played basketball when he was cast in this role. Like, he doesn't get a lot of screen time as far as in-game time, but nevertheless, like, those are hard shots to get. Those are hard cuts. And I I saw them say something to the extent of they were doing 100-plus shots for each little setup so they would get a bunch of movement and screens and passes just to make this look realistic. And the actual Ken Carter, he praised the basketball in this movie. He said it looks incredibly realistic. I still hold Space Jam as the the epitome of realistic basketball. But The paragon of realistic basketball. Yes, yes. And to clarify, the Jordan Space Jam. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah, we have to clarify that now. Yeah, give me give me sexy sexy Lolo bunny <laughs> with the basketball in this movie. There is a there, there's a team of coaches/directors, people that are brought in to make the basketball seem real. I listened to an interview of Mark Ellis who was the coaching director and they were talking about how yeah, we had to actually run them and do conditioning because this is a 12-hour film day. You're seeing 10 seconds to a minute of basketball, but that was a 12-hour shoot, or that had taken a week to get. So everybody that's playing basketball in this movie is having to go through the conditioning and having to learn to work with the ball. And uh, it's extremely difficult to get the beautiful things out of this game when you're dealing with just basketball players. You add on top of that, some of these guys are just actors. They don't exactly get, they don't have the feel for the ball that a lot of ballers would have from the time that they were old enough to hold a basketball. So the the, the difficulties don't show through. The motion, the screens, the sounds, everything about the game of basketball in this movie is really, really good without relying on big, spectacular, aerial, flashy dunks or behind-the-back passes, they found a way to make fundamentals look really cool. Okay, so yeah. not Teen Wolf. <laughs> right, so not Teen Wolf. Give me sexy Teen Wolf over sexy Lola Bunny. I think that exists. I think they did a female Teen Wolf later on. It's remarkably refreshing to see when you... We've covered some movies. I just mentioned Braveheart. <laughs> funny funny enough where I've said it's not very accurate sometimes. We're, we're making a movie. We're here to entertain people. And that is, the, that is our mission. In this case, it is both. It is entertaining, but uh, it, when you read about the real Coach Carter, I mean, this is a guy's story very closely represented here. And the real Coach Carter said a lot of the personalities of the players, the actors, have done such an amazing job. They really remind him of the young men that he coached. It's amazing. I mean, they they go into mention it, but I mean, the real Coach Carter comes from a family of seven sisters, and everything that he learned, Sam Jackson said that. That aggression and that sensitivity that he gained from his family that would help shape him. And then the real Coach Carter said that when he went to college and to play basketball, and he said that he met some other people who were really genuinely good men, 
he found that the people that he had grown up with who were doing seemingly nice things or seemingly had stuff going for them were on the wrong side of the law. And that he had made a kind of a light bulb kind of moment of, I want to be like these guys that I'm coming into contact with now in college. I want to be like these people. And it was a, an eye-opening experience that this world that I grew up in didn't have to be the way it had to be. And so that's a message that he very felt passionately about. It changed his life. And he certainly raised his son to to see that option of college and to the world beyond of the community that they might be in. But also he brought it to these boys on the basketball court. So what an what a great feeling story that is. Several of them went on to, to college and one of them became a successful NFL tight end. I can't remember specifically which one. Now the movie changes all the names and they've said the the scenarios themselves for each of the players in the movies aren't they didn't happen. They are just they didn't want to embarrass any of the players by giving specific scenarios. So there may or may not have been someone who had a pregnant girlfriend. There wasn't anyone involved in gang activities. They've said the players themselves weren't troublemakers. From 97 to 2002, every one of the players under his watch graduated from high school. I want to just point out what an amazing achievement in life that is. So this movie just has a little bit of white text at the end being like six of these players graduated and went on to college. And that somewhat undersells the real accomplishment from this. I think at one point he mentions in the movie, you are 80% more likely to go to prison than you are to graduate from college. And that is concerning. Right. That was a weird scene, though. I, I felt a little awkward for a couple of the players because he's specifically speaking to his black players. He he mentions as a black male, these are your statistics. We've got Channing Tatum sitting in the room. You also have uh, Tito Cruz, who's Hispanic. And there's one unnamed Asian player who never actually hits the court. And he's just in the background, right. too. I yeah. think uh, the, the important thing about that isn't and I'm not trying to, to tear down what you just said. Obviously, they're, they're not all black in the room. But the, the general idea is that, like, this is where Ken Carter lives and has decided to stay and own his and operate his business. I think it's more about, like, if you're here, you are still under the influence of the organizational structures and culture of this area. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, he... he the the statistics that he quoted were specifically about the black students, but I still think it was it had the same tinge of emotion about like we care about all of you. Remember, Coach Carter talks about like we're all a team here. I think there's a difference between the white Channing Tatum and we'll say the party goers and the the white folks over at the suburb tournament that they go to. Well, sir. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I I didn't think you were blurring those. I just that it's something that you feel about this movie is that it's not just the words about like we are a team and we represent each other through so many examples that the movie gives you. Whether it's uh, when Timo tries to get back on the team and he falls short of his suicides and push-ups, that the other players on the team say, "Well, I'll do them for him. You know, I, I'll I'll do this to raise my brother up." And uh, that was, it's touching every time it happens. And, and then, you know, we see it with the actual, the actual newsworthy controversy, you could say, is that some of the students that were locked out of basketball had passing grades, but it's about the team. 
some of the other students didn't. So how are you going to raise your, you know, your, your hand out and help lift your brothers up? And that really resonates for me. I was a team sports guy. I love going back to that feeling of really caring about like the people to your left and right. It does make me feel like these kids care about each other. In real, they, they had interviews with some of actual Coach Carter's players after they had graduated. They said that, uh, like this movie, they did not respect him coming in. They did not care that he had those records up on the wall, which he did. And he was, they looked at him like he was some preacher with a suit and a tie. And they, they, they did not like, they thought he was hard-nosed. They thought he was too serious. They thought he was mean. They did not like the contracts. Three of his best players in real life walked off the team when the contracts were passed out. And he did not need to go back groveling to them. That's right. To Unlike the movie, those three players in real life never came back. Right. Whereas uh, I think it's Battle. No, not Battle. It's uh, Kenyon and uh, Timo do come back. I didn't think Timo and Battle left. I thought it was two other guys. Well, I know Timo left. Uh, maybe it was two other guys. You lost two other guys in addition to Timo leaving because Timo leaves a little bit later. Right. Um, like he, he's not part of the initial. Like you put, he put contracts into people's hands and people walked out. So yeah, and then and then they're like, we just lost our best score, and their second, those are our best two scores. He's like, well, I guess we're gonna have two new best scores this year, right. aren't we? And Th- then that means it's more accurate than I thought. That means it is it is closer to being fully accurate. I guess the the thing that the reason I I forgot it is that we really don't encounter those other two students that leave at all throughout the movie. Yeah. Once they leave no. the gym, they're gone. One, That's how it was in real life. One of his players still seems kind of. I don't. I don't want to say down on him, but he's like I. I didn't like it. I didn't like the punishment. I didn't get any of this. He did get some success, but he seemed kind of resentful of a lot of the process. I. I'm a West Virginia sports fan, and Bob Huggins is the coach of the Mountaineers. He's famous for treadmill discipline. You do anything wrong, you're on a treadmill. You're running, and people will laugh about that after they graduate. They hate Bob Bob Huggins while they're there, but. Man, I, I don't know how long it would take me to do 500 push-ups, but I have to say, if given a week, I don't know that I'm going to be able to give you 500 push-ups. It seemed like they were doing them in a day. Yeah, they they threw out very large numbers of suicides and push-ups in this movie, and I'm just sitting there going, like, do you, I mean, having done some basketball, I am not Mr. Athletic, in fairness, but 25 suicides will... Where were you like that? Like, so the notion of doing a thousand hundreds. Yeah. Yeah. Doing a thousand. I mean, like, that's a, I mean. You nailed it. It's, it's overinflated numbers for the drama of the movie. I think any, but any high school player that was watching it would say that's crazy. And it was written to sound crazy because it is it, it, at an impossible level to be able to eat and even walk. I mean, they gave us what a 10 second scene where it's like, man, I'm so sore today. No, man, you'd barely be able to move. One of the players who did not particularly like uh, Coach Carter, as Chad alluded to, did at least compliment him on Damien, his son, which was a real, that that storyline, that thread line is very realistic as well. There was no nepotism. He wasn't treated special. He didn't just get put into the starting lineup. He was hard on Damien and treated him equally to everybody else. If he was late, he ran and did push-ups just like everybody else. And he said they were very close. He was firm with them and the respect. And that same player said, I didn't really have that in my life. And watching the two of them together and the dynamic between father and son made me realize the way I wanted to help raise my kid. 
that just it shows you what a role model these kids are in a failing system like they're in an environment where there don't appear to be options nobody expects anything of you and borderline nobody's pushing you to achieve higher the deck is more than stacked against you it is absolutely loaded against you to fail in life and that sucks that's a real problem that we legitimately experience in the real world it does make you sit there and go like man we do not have enough people like this in the world because that guidance and that care and that persistence, it takes a lot of work. That frustration that Sam Jackson shows, I mean, it, it shows undoubtedly what Ken Carter was saying he felt in that moment. I love the scene where he gets out of the car and yells at somebody from the community who like spits on his windshield and cusses him out and says, you know, let the boys play. His own son's holding him back saying like, it's okay. It's a warm moment because it's his player and his son kind of coming to his side and being like, I get it. It blew my mind to hear how California's school system worked because I grew up in West Virginia and the way West Virginia's school system works is the highest performing schools, the highest, best academic schools get the least funding. The worst schools in the county get the most funding. And it was the opposite here. And the principal said, hey, as one of the worst schools, we get cut funding due to performance. It's like, oh my goodness, that's so different than us. And as a kid that went to the high-performing school in West Virginia, I always wanted those funds. Our schools were terrible as far as facilities and things like that. We were, we were in portables for a lot of our tenure. But to hear, okay, this self-fulfilling, as long as they continue doing poorly, they're going to get less and less funds. And the principal saying, most of the people that are succeeding are girls. Why would I invest in these young men? That was all just, that was shocking culture, I suppose, for me. The actual Coach Carter said the parents were a bigger problem than the kids at supporting That's always true. these race standards. And <laughs> took the words out of my mouth, Chad. That's always true. And so this movie does an excellent job of showing that. And honestly, going back to what you were saying, Dustin, Lyle's uncle stands in as his father. Why? Because Lyle's dad is in jail. Yep. So it it shows you that if you're in this world, if this is the world that you've been born into, whether you're Hispanic, black, even white, this is not a world that's lined up for you to succeed in. And the parents just want them to play basketball because they feel like this is the best thing in their life. This is their high point. This is You're going to take this one thing away from them that their whole lives are going to have. And I love the line where the principal says that to, yes. to him. And he looks like, I think that's the problem, don't you? For a lot of these kids, this is going to be the highlight of their life. I, don't, I think there's a problem with that. If you don't see it, that's a problem too. You know, the, the kids, when they're on the bus on the way back from the house party after the win at the tournament, I think it's Timo, it might be somebody else, but he says to Coach, who's up at the front of the bus, didn't you want us to become winners? Because they just won that little midseason tournament. And it's hard because their success on the court, it's kind of the, the drive for why they would want to do anything. Uh, the, the idea that basketball is an escape from the rest of the hard parts of your life you can tell with a character like Timo, and I have to give credit to Rick Gonzalez for being able to show all the emotion on his face of the longing to be with his friends on the team, but also the 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 desire to look tough and sound tough. He's strapped. He's carrying a pistol along with his cousin Rennie, but also like he he 
he shows the teen angst of not knowing what to do. And, and he's the one that says, didn't you want us to become winners? And it's immediately after he gets back from that tournament that he sees the what this biopic's really about, which is, but they're failing in school. And then the second half of the movie kind of shows you, like, well, we're going to work towards remedying that. And that's what leads to the big lockout and the big national news story. I think we have Bob Costas in this movie doing the story, but I think in real life it was Good Morning America, something like that. Rush yeah. Limbaugh, he got Katie Rush. Rush. Well, it was Katie Couric. He said, that's right. uh, Ken Carter said, I was going to lose my job. It wasn't a maybe, like this movie kind of leaves it in like a, ooh, will he have to resign kind of thing. He's like, I was going to lose my job and that news oh, wow. story broke. And the, the attention that, you know, Katie Couric coming and talking and putting him on TV with others. This the, it made this go up all the way up to the governor's office, and he even looked at it and said, "Like, wouldn't you know? Wouldn't it be great to have somebody like that in our state?" And <laughs> they said, "This isn't Richmond, Virginia. This is in your state, sir." So, <laughs> Good job, Ray um, Davis. That saved him. That the attention that it got. The school board was not behind him. You know, certainly the governor wasn't coming to his back. Nobody had his back on this one. The teachers didn't have his back. The, the community viewed these ki- these kids as like celebrities, and so they were above they were above what was being asked of them. And I love the line where he said, "You know, these kids can't honor a simple contract. You're telling them that they're above the rules." And how much longer do you think that that instilled? What kind of message does that send before they think they're above the law? I thought that was a bit of a slippery slope of you allow them to play basketball with a slightly lower GPA, then the next step is they're going to steal or do whatever. But It's a bit of a jump. But Dustin, I'll ask you, since Russell, you'd seen this movie, I feel like they took way too much time to establish this was in California. My wife and I both looked at each other when they finally had the San Francisco court and we said, oh, and we both had the reaction of, I didn't think Richmond, Virginia was this bad. I didn't think there was like gang warfare in Richmond, Virginia, but maybe they have a bad side. Who knows? I guess maybe it's because when I think Samuel L. Jackson, I think Inglewood. I just kind of already thought this was California. Richmond, Virginia didn't make a lot of sense. And I, I got to say, it it didn't matter to me the exact location of it what mattered was we're very much shown the details that matter which were this is a low performing area the principal actors live and work here i i already got the feel from it i didn't need to know it was california but i guess it i was already sort of somehow shown i guess this is credit to the director like i was just kind of led to think it was that instead of you know east coast Virginia. It it just led to some confusion on on both of our parts of like we're we're somewhat familiar with Richmond. We've been there. Is there yeah. a, is there a dark seedy side to Richmond, Virginia that I was yeah. unaware of in like the late nineties? What you're doing though is making a good point though. I think I think seeing this, I don't I know you don't have to give a whole history of it, but I mean it's a post industrial port city. So not uh, port city meaning like shipping port, not like poor. By the way, like um so. It's a it has these industries that have left and it's not a happy place. And so I think seeing the ports and seeing not just stock footage of the Golden Gate Bridge, I mean, seeing moments through town. I mean, when we did Beverly Hills Cop, they opened the movie with a very real depiction of Detroit. They went all over the city, they shot lots of stuff, and they gave you in a very quick moment some real life shots of what Detroit felt like in the eighties. And 
they did not do that here. And I feel like that's important because so much of what you're saying is the environment these kids are growing up in socially, how powerful of a message is it to just get footage from the actual place. This is a real story. And, and it's not hard to get there. You know, why did they stay in Southern California to shoot this? It is probably one of my greater frustrations with this movie because it does feel like LA. It's because it's shot there. And then when anything they do to That's mask true. it and, you know, so there's a difference in culture of South, uh, South California to Northern California. There's a difference of terrain. There's a difference on mixture of buildings and the density of the structures. I mean, Russell, we aren't architects too. I, I can't, I can't. Right. I know. But you, my, my point is you do know it's San Francisco, I think, because they put so much work into being authentic with the basketball as you started to allude to. We might go into further here in a little bit. There was a fear of gang violence, so they didn't actually film it in Richmond, uh, California, because they were afraid of gang reprisal. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's why they chose L.A. I mean, the movie industry's in L.A. It probably saves them a ton of money to not pack it all up and head somewhere on location. But I, I want to I get into something about, about in general the movie, but it's something specific that got me here, which is that this movie has a couple tales in it, like a, a couple stories. Have to understand that this is in a rough area. Mm -hmm. But aside from Rennie's shooting, what we're seeing is mostly high school and high school adjacent things. Inside the classroom, inside the library, inside the gym. The gym felt real. That all made a lot of sense. And then juxtapose that with the style of like the arena of like the suburbs uh, tournament out there. The movie does a good enough job of letting you know what kind of area you're in. We get the interior shot of Kira's apartment, which is very small, very cramped, uh, with uh, Ashanti's character, where mom's not around. She's looking after, I think, her aunt's baby who has to work double, something like that. We see like a, a local place where they're all like hanging out. I guess we do see, I think, a school dance maybe, but I think mm -hmm. the high school related stuff is all quite believable. The the outward expression of the city that they were in, I got that. But start up with something specific to get to the general. I think we spend the appropriate, maybe the maybe the correct or the perfect amount of time on the basketball and the academics. I don't think we have an invasion of, let's say, Timo's character, of like the drug peddling interfering in his life too much because this movie isn't about Timo it's about the team we don't have too much of the Kenyan and Kira pregnancy post-pregnancy do I go to college do I have to support this baby we have enough to keep it interesting but we don't do a crazy deep dive into it we learn about Lyle's situation like there's not there's not a shot of his home life there are a lot of things that they just kind of touch on and let's remember this is an MTV film <laughs> Which explains all the musical numbers and the dance routines. We have we are five years past Bring It On, but we still have minute long shots of the cheerleaders who in this movie don't really matter. <laughs> it matters so, to them. It mattered to them. Well, and, they're just part of getting your they're just getting your adrenaline up as a viewer though. I don't, I don't know. I think there's some sports movies that do a better job of this. Don't pretend like it might matter. Don't pretend like any of these cheerleader characters might matter to this story. No, they don't. I'm if they saying. don't. No, it's just and an experience. It's it's more part of the atmosphere of the game. My, my main point, the, the, the specific to the general main point about this movie is 
I think we have just enough, and it's usually on the shorter end of these vignettes about the personal lives of these kids. We're mostly looking at the team experiencing things together as a young group of young men. And that's really kind of special. And something that I thought was different about this movie compared to other teen sports movies. That is very true. They do a good job of giving you enough information that you feel about the personality of each one of the characters. Like the actor has enough chance to establish what this character does. And I like the scene where Battle's mom comes in to talk to Ken Carter in the store. Octavia Spencer does a great job of playing her, tells him that his brother had died. That's a little piece. Like you just said, you have a movie, you have very little real estate of time to be right. able to do all this stuff. And they're very efficient with what they do. I think they're most efficient or most effective with Cruz and Kenyon's stories. I mean, Cruz, as you mentioned, being lured into this gang life, he wants to be along to part of something. When he leaves basketball, you know, he ends up still wanting to have like this macho I'm the man thing. And like he's lost that place where he could just mouth off and say I'm the man in the court. He realizes he wants to be part of something bigger than even himself. And he finds something greater. It, in a way, when he runs across the street to say hi to his friends and that's when the shooting goes down. That saves his life. The basketball saves his life. It's it's very directly a Ooh. great way of storytelling yeah. that that he he if had he not gone and talked to his friends, he would have been over there and could have been shot himself. That's and a good they, point. They Russell. reinforce it really quickly because when the next scene is Cruz is crying, he's upset, he's shaken, and um, he's not sobbing, but like he's, he's got just blood all him. over his clothes. He's yeah. got blood all over his clothes, and he knocks on his coach's door. And his forgiveness with Cruz is very special to this movie. He walks out in the library. He walks out at the beginning. Like, you know, when the system's not being run the way that he wants it to. After mouthing off and swinging at him. Right, exactly. But t teachers aren't <laughs> allowed to yeah. hit students. Teachers aren't allowed I'm to hit students. I'm not a teacher. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but this is just a really good moment of the warmth that comes through. So, I think Cruz, through Cruz's story, you get a very touching point of this and through Kenyon's story too of like having a real I think there's a very good message in this movie of having a baby is a big deal MTV put out a whole like 16 and pregnant thing to try and warn an entire generation and it actually it actually affected the pregnancy rate in this country I thought it was That's pretty right. I thought that was pretty trashy Team programming mom. at the time and it was like like but no it, it it registered with people that this is a big deal Shanti's character is treating this baby like it's like a little cute paper doll or something like that Sam Jackson said that like I got to credit this movie with how they handled that whole situation Kenyon was realizing how am I going to do any of this when she hands him that crying baby he looks like I'm unprepared for this he looks scared they handled those stories so well I wanted a little more of that from Worm like he's just comedic relief. He's kind of just comedic. I guess yeah. he's kind of a ladies' man. Yeah, wanna be two for one special. <laughs> <laughs> two of you, one of me. That's special. <laughs> he he's welcome when he's on the screen. Chad, I wanted to ask you because we're the we're the two that hadn't seen it before. If this were a different kind of movie or a different style movie, I think sometimes what what might happen is, see, I love the way that Russell just said it. Like he runs across the street to say hi to his friends basketball saved his life if this were a different movie chad i feel as if like rennie getting shot kind of meant that timo wasn't there to have his back mm. and that would mean that then there'd be either another family member maybe another gang member or just another criminal who's like now after him but that's kind of where that 
part of the movie wraps up. He's not pursued by other criminals. He's not tempted to leave the team basketball I'm a student life. He's he's in. Did you did do you know what I mean, Chad? Where you kind of think like some of these things are gonna come back to bite him later? Yeah, I mean the streets claim their own, and that's where he's making his residence. He's out with Rennie. the The first time I saw them together, I was like, "Well, one of these two guys is dead." Yeah, like, that's how this ends. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, yeah, it it was Rennie. but uh, I I'm glad it wasn't Cruz. To your point, without this, yeah, he he's absolutely, he's got a gang problem now, or he's going on a vengeance, or without basketball, he's trying to get that one-for-one one back from whatever gang did this to his cousin. I was thinking that early on, when he's handed the baggie of what to sell, and he hands the cash back to Rennie, and Rennie says, take a little bit for yourself, I was worried that the commitment of time and uh, of practices and conditioning, because we got to remember, y'all, you don't, you, you have so much of your day is taken up with practice when you're in high school. So much of your free time. None of these guys had jobs, but I know I did at the same time. So like, y- your days are just full of schedules. But uh, what I was thinking, Chad, is that he's going to be too focused on basketball to move his product. And that would have meant Rennie was going to like put a gun to his cousin's neck or that somebody even more powerful would be like breathing down his neck. To your point earlier, there were just little snippets and I may have some objections yeah. in our superlatives later. Might mm. have a, a little rebuttal for you, but we do just get these little snippets of their lives. We don't see his parents. We don't understand his situation. There were a lot of times, and yeah, we kind of saw in the meeting some parents are in a janitor's outfit, so you understand they're working late or they're working odd shifts. We hear it from uh, Kira that her mom picked up extra work, but there were a lot right. of times it's just like, we don't meet these parents and we don't see them. And there were times, this is privilege coming through, but like, where are the parents? What are they doing? You see Octavia Spencer, who's hilariously only eight years older than the actor who played Junior Battle. So, and only five years older than Worm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So she's she's kind of involved. Like she's gotten with the program, but she wants to keep him in. But most of these other parents, it's like, we're not going to go buy a 50 cent tie. Or the one lady that objects and says, I'm not a Goodwill shopper or whatever. I'm not that poor. Right. Right. It, where their simple objections are, my kid has to go to class. Like it, it just makes you sad for the entire si- situation. But there's, I think a- it's real. I think it, I think it's oh, unfortunately yeah. realistic because I mean that's what all the interviews with the real players and stuff. Honestly, the real coach to son. All these interviews kind of confirm this being pretty pretty accurate. Well, you don't get a school system like this without failing or absence of parents whether it's jail, Good violence, things like that. So I, there's there's investment without an individual like Coach Carter investing and pouring into them. Which is why the Damien story is really important. He, he, his dad has lined him up for massive success. Like I said, the players who were there at the time saw that relationship that they had. And to your point, Chad, Damien's on a different trajectory, even in this environment, than they are because of the support they have from him as a father. 
And that's an enormous difference that this movie also reinforces as well. You can see what he, uh, what Damien has that the other kids do not have. He it's also hard to break school records if you aren't playing varsity all four years. Let's talk about the actors real quick here, though. I mean, like, Sam Jackson is Ken Carter. It doesn't really look like him, but then they asked Ken Carter who should play him in this movie. He wrote down one name on a piece of paper, and it was Sam Jackson. So uh, the intensity and the firmness, but also the warmth. Jackson is really good in this movie. I think Sam Jackson is a wildly underrated actor. Sometimes he's in some bad movies, Snakes on a Plane. Um, but, I mean, <laughs> he's amazingly versatile, and this movie shows... A, a huge part of his range that you might not think. You always think tough guy with him. He's tough in this one, but the warmth that he brings also is tremendously strong here. I don't know who you would recast in the Sam Jackson role that could nail this role like he did. Like there are certain, I think he looks enough like what they were going for with Ken Carter. If someone's going to be intimidating to me, it's going to be Sam Jackson. But he does turn around and he has that tenderness, especially with Cruz. I think I think it really helps that we know Sam Jackson from so many other things where he's very tough. Or very he's tough. only tough. And yeah. this is this is an opportunity for him to not just be tough, but to show tough love. Because it's mostly tough, but there's a lot of love under there too. I had written down while I was watching this, when I think about Sam Jackson, I think about characters that are closer to caricatures than characters that are closer to real. He's so quotable, and he's so over the top. Samuel L. Jackson's acting style sometimes is just as simple as, well, he's about to tell you a story. And that's kind of his conversation style, is I'm going to tell you a story. And he does it in this movie, too. Now, let me tell you about Candy. Now, let me tell you about Linda. And that's like the acting style. And for a while there, I thought, Man, is this kind of all Sam, Samuel L. Jackson does? I think this movie reminded me that, man, he can be well-rounded and inspirational. One of you two said it, but I'll agree. He absolutely nails this performance. And I don't know the real Ken Carter. I don't care if he looks like him or not. I think the aura of what he was, this, kind of, this movie makes me think of Samuel L. Jackson more as an actor than a lot of his other more recognizable roles, perhaps. Yeah, I think it was uh, also fun. I recognize Rob Brown, the guy who plays Kenyon. He was in Finding Forrester five years sooner, who's playing like a basketball. Fry loves you know. him. Yeah, like so, um, you know, he's also in, uh, you know, The Express, which is uh Irene Davis story so as well. So he's in, he's no, um, he's a veteran of athletic movies. And uh, I think uh, Robert Richard is. Uh, Cousin Skeeter. Uh, Yep, exactly. He's from the Nickelodeon tree. And I even recognized him right away from another basketball performance. There was something called Sports Theater with Shaquille O'Neal for a few years back in the day. Wow. And, and, he, was a, and he was a basketball player from, uh, from one of those. It's funny. They did hold a tryout camp. Mark Ellis was brought in. He brought 70 plays that they realized that they needed to fill out all these teams and they needed to run through all the extras and things like that. And they drilled them. But the guys who got on there were veterans of other movies i have to say uh this is a basketball specific thing tell me what you think about this statement robert richard playing damian carter dribbles the basketball like a prep school kid would dribble the basketball that's accurate that is... yeah and mark mark ellis though to your point dustin went through every one of these actors and told them 
like from a sport because his job by the way we mentioned his name a bunch of times he's the basketball coordinator he's in charge of choreographing and making sure all this stuff is real taking real plays and making the players move real so mike tolan the producer said they didn't they hated he hated movies where people shoot it they cut and the ball goes in in a different angle right really hokey i hate that too he turned down he turned down the movie friday night lights to do this he had three-week basketball camp where he drilled these people but once they were selected he worked with them to study and say okay he's a point guard what kind of a point guard would he be Let's. What are the strong suits of this player? Now, how would you move? Now, I need you to work really hard on making this dribble. How do you hold your body? And it's astounding through repetition, through drilling, and through attention to detail of Mark Ellis. There's authenticity put into this. You know, Tatum Channing hadn't played before, and he, you know, he could sit there. <laughs> he messed it up he, again. Like, sorry, Channing Tatum. Uh, I, I'm gonna <laughs> sorry, Channing Tatum. Um, Pittsburgh dad has ruined this for me. Look it up. Channing from, Tatum was. Better. I know. <laughs> <laughs> he was like i'm a defensive player who's hard-nosed defense rebounder i'm not a good shooter and then like and, but these are things that don't affect the movie to your point or do they because mark ellis had all of that detail go into every one of these characters so it's interesting that you said does he dribble like a prep guy a prep school guy Mark gonzalez said all i did was play street ball before i had to work very hard to look like i was playing real basketball there was a clip on twitter that went through the other day which was like Oh, take a look at how this team is doing the 1979 Princeton backdoor cut alley-oop. And it was three different cuts of this modern team doing this old play. And I'm a sucker for that kind of detail. It's like, whoa, these plays still work. And so when you're watching Coach Carter, if you're not into basketball, you can think that looks realistic. But the coup is, the win, is that if you are really into basketball— this looks realistic. It was made for fans of the game. Mike Tolan, the producer, said if we don't have the sports aficionados supporting this, you will have nobody in the end, which I don't think is true, but I appreciate that that's where he was coming from. It kind so. of worked with me. The draw was that it was a sports movie, not that it was an emotional, uplifting biopic. And yeah. we end up getting both. Two for well, one he... special. <laughs> well, Tolan said like they wanted to film this movie as with shots that you can't achieve by watching it on TV because it's scripted, because it's you know, something you can do in re- repeating, repeating, repeating. You can use lots of creative ways of shooting to capture the action, to make it very exciting, to give you a very in the game kind of experience that you wouldn't otherwise. And in general, the ball, the camera follows the ball through these uh, angles. And so again, avoiding cuts of the ball, like being thrown at different angles and stuff like that. So they worked really hard at this and they shot a lot of these things over and over again. Robert Richard said that if they'd shoot 10 shots from one angle, 10 shots from another angle, and they would do that to 15 to 20 angles. You're doing 500 takes of this play over and over again. So repetition in the same way that Coach Carter, one of these kids to do <laughs> suicides, push-ups, and run the play again, the actors really are just machines running this play 500 times. They have five-hour-a-day practices. There's another line. Was it Mark Ellis, Russell? Yes. There's another line that he mentioned in one of those behind the scenes things, which was he was like shaking his head and somebody came up to him and said, what's the problem, Mark? And Mark's answer to him coolly was, I've got three actors touching the ball in this play. Even with all this work, I'm still dealing with actors who act for a living as opposed to basketball players as extra who could easily make this pass midair. He's like, I've got actors in this shot. So like I, even still he was that's how like close to perfection he was pushing. Yeah. 
the real Coach Carter actually said, this feels real. If it's part of the camera angles, I guess that's it worked on me. It did feel like a real game. Mark Ellis also knows what looks good from camera work, from his work in movies. He's helping the directors know, okay, I think the camera needs to be over here. And the camera director talks about taking measurements. It's like two feet over this way, 17 feet over that way. We're going to crank it at this angle. And then the ball gets thrown at this time. I mean, it is like filming stunt work. Well, but even still, it kind of feels like they were playing basketball. They were really running motion. I love seeing things like junior battles really fighting for position. And that battle, uh, no pun intended, that fight underneath, I mentioned, I like bruising big, tough, power forwards. And so seeing like a hard screen set or to see, you know, somebody, you know, put up the fist to let the ball handler know which way to go. Seeing that kind of stuff, it's kind of like basketball porn. And with all the shots, (laughs) with all the angles, that's good watching. It was definitely a charge. Like that ref is blind. <laughs> uh, and Thomas and Car- he totally would have said offensive foul. Nobody's no referees say charge. I'm surprised that Thomas Carter doesn't necessarily go on to get a lot more work out of off of this. This is he doesn't have a big. He goes to Swing Kids, Metro, Save the Last Dance, four year gap. Then does Coach Carter one more movie of the Gifted Hands four years later, which is the the Ben Carson story, and then one more <laughs> movie in 2014 when the game stands tall, like. Why doesn't he get more work out of this? Because he's good at this. I think the story is well told. As you said, Dustin, he takes enough of the players. You know, the temptation is to be like a mini series and like talk about all the things that are going on. It could yeah. turn into a big mess or you can overlock in on just Kenyon and like and then it turns into the Kenyon movie. Instead, they keep it very team focused, which is what the story is about. And it's so good. I was really worried when I first watched the movie. I was seriously worried like that chick, uh, Susan was going to lure them somewhere that they shouldn't be and they're going to get yes. in trouble with the police because they beat their team. And I was really worried for them. So in theory, it didn't go well for them. Like what they did was wrong. But like on the other hand, it could have gone so much worse. Like I, I, I had this like sigh of relief. I'm just like, oh, they actually did invite them to the party. Russell, okay. everything in this movie could have been so much worse. Yeah. Every side story could have been so much worse with a little more depth. It, they, they, most of them could have resulted in something way worse. What, what are we conditioned to if we keep thinking that like, oh, somebody's going to get stabbed or jumped? Yeah. Or well, I the, mean, I mean, the parents, yeah, exactly. The parents when they come home and they see a black yeah. man that they don't recognize at their door in this very affluent white neighborhood, and they even say. And you think it's going there. They say, who are you? What are you doing here? You're a long ways from Richmond. And yeah, you're a little lost. Yeah, there's implication (laughs) there. And it never goes further. But to your point, it definitely could have. I I did have a problem with the casting of Susan and all of those high school girls. And I'm using air quotes. Like not Mm -hmm. a single one of them. I don't know what high school they're going to. But they were either held back for like four grades or not a single one of them looked close to 18. They were well into their 20s. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what movies do. It's not it's not unusual. When they play the Hercules team, they they show they make them feel like they're physically outmatched. Those are those are full-grown men out there playing against them to make them look even smaller as they're like, you know, gutting it out against the team and yes, they make all they they take people in their late 20s look like they're in their late teens and Is men Hercules don't have that the- their first win of the season? It Sorry is, to interrupt. Yes. 
Yeah. Uh, the, the, another another super positive like shot slash style from our director here is uh, you can tell in the last three minutes of that game, and it's part of Coach Carter's style is that like they are dog tired. You have run them out of this gym, which is the way that Kentucky and Indiana basketball typically goes. And we're talking about California, but running basketball, you either can play it or you can't. And no matter how talented you are, if you can't keep up, you're dead. Once the fourth quarter hits, you're dead. And it worked. And so, like, the the way the director shows us, you hear audibly the deep breaths. You see the sweat dripping. And then Coach is like, you know, he's going to miss his free throw because his legs are gone. It all was so real. Let's talk about the soundtrack. This movie is loaded with soundtrack. We open up with DMX in the opening. We have Citizen Cope at that profound moment of Let the Drummer Kick. That was a high point for the music where they had the samplings of Stevie Wonder's song in there while he's pondering, what am I going to do about these poor grades? I mean, I felt like that was part of what immersed me in the environment. And I know MTV Films, I think the critics are going to look at this as saying it's cheap, but I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm a music fan and I don't necessarily only want score. I like this. I, I, it's a little bit late to be doing this. Movies aren't doing this as much at this point. I don't mind the, the loaded up soundtrack. Do you, Dustin? It's not that just that I don't mind it. I, I think I told you all that this is full of bangers, this soundtrack. I was listening to it on the way home from work. Strangely enough, the, of the songs that you mentioned, the DMX song and the Citizen Cope song aren't on the soundtrack they're in the movie but they're not on the soundtrack that you can get on they should be yeah well the thing is that citizen cope song they'll let the i hate that song oh but this is one of the things about nostalgia about like growing up is even the things that you just were around as a kid you come back and listen to it 17 years later and you're like oh yeah i remember this i i still don't like the song i think the song's bad it's both i don't like it and i think it's bad but it made me feel like I was in high school again. And that's a win. Now, now, there's also a score piece. There's also like an uplifting musical suite, which is very, very good. I don't know if it's been used in anything else, but I liked it a lot. There were some songs in this movie that were actually about basketball, specifically Bala by Mac-10, Time by the St. Lunatics. Obviously, About the Game by Trey Songs is about the game. Like They're very much like, this is a basketball hip-hop song. But I'll give you four more tracks that really stand out. And strangely enough, I didn't pick Dip It Low song. All, All Night Long by Red Cafe, Beauty Queen by Sarnock, Roll With You by Ciara, best known as Russell Wilson's wife nowadays, but she had a great music career for a while. And then Professional by Chingy. Didn't think it'd be 2022, dang near 2023, and I'd be thinking of Chingy. No, but I was going to say the same thing. Like, this, huh. this soundtrack, it makes you feel like it's 2005. And holds up forever. And one of the, full, the the last thing I'll say here, one of the really cool things about this is this is before hip hop and really just worldwide music got obsessed with trap, with the trap beat and the hi hats. This was before we went there. That's true. Not only is it the close of how movies are using music and how soundtracks are being made, you're right. You're at the precipice of hip hop about to change too. I think, what would you say, three more years later after this, like hip hop looks very different? Yeah, it's within six years that we start getting people making their own music on Spotify to download. Uh, we weren't there yet. I'm never going to be happy to hear Little John in a soundtrack at all. So <laughs> What? Yes. But not even the East Side Boys with him? No, especially not when the East Side Boys show up. 
that is a very annoying song for me because it was yep. it was my college years. And so I would watch many of my female friends get trashed and sing this song. And if you've ever yeah. heard Chris Rock's sketch on it, it's very, very funny. Like they would sing it. <laughs> He's not singing about me. It's fine. It's just a very <laughs> odd song. They they changed some words, I think, in this movie. What intrigued me was they go and they get Ashanti. And she has no music in this. And yeah, it's weird. I'm I'm happy about that though because I was afraid she was going to get up there in the dance scene in particular and be like, "I'm going to get the mic and tell my boyfriend what I think about him." And then like, this is what you expect from an MTV movie. That, and um, yeah, and it doesn't happen. And I'm glad. But you know now, what? Like we had this discussion in Valentine's Day again, same panel. So this is fun. And I'm now comparing Coach Carter to Valentine's Day. But we mm. had Taylor Swift. And your response was, why would you get Taylor Swift and not have her in the soundtrack? So why Oh, she can be in the soundtrack, but I don't want her to have like a big musical number as part of this movie. Well, yes. That would Does be, that make sense? That would be disruptive. I agree. Don't have a big musical number where she's singing I Will Survive or <laughs> Foolish. Like, don't have her singing that. Oh, no. She can be on the soundtrack. You're right. She should. That That's fine. Okay. Yeah. She should be on there twice. Go, go be on the soundtrack. Just don't like sing in it like when dolly parton did nine to five she didn't get up and hold the microphone and sing nine to five it's just plays in in the movie and she's in there yeah that was great unless the unless the movie is about musicians then that should be that should be the line that's what we should agree on is if the if the movie has to do with music you know think back a month ago with some like it hot yeah we should have our singers sing if it doesn't just act agree yeah and let's talk about some superlatives what do you guys say Excellent. Oh, yeah. Chad, MVP. The real life Coach Carter. He goes against the grain and he helps young men reach higher than they thought possible. So without him, there is no movie. It's a great choice, Dustin. Weird choice here. I actually went with uh, Mark Schwann and John Gattins, who are our screenwriters, um, because I feel like all three of us were worried something worse was going to happen. And movies nowadays make the worst thing happen, like the dire consequence. But I feel like we got just enough, Chad, you called them snippets. I feel like we got just enough of a lot of these stories to make it palatable and genuine and left a good taste in my mouth. So I'm actually going with them. You keep building a house of cards and I am going to knock it down. We'll get there. <laughs> We're on our way. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm bracing for this. Whoa, interesting. And Thomas Collier keeps it very balanced. That's not my pick, though, for MVP. I'm going with Sam Mother Effin Jackson. <laughs> it, Incredible. It so, yeah, he, he is amazing. It was weird, though, to hear him talk about not using the N-word after we just covered uh, you know, like Jackie <laughs> Brown or like like if you've ever seen anything of Tarantino's where he is in it. It's so funny to hear him be like, I don't want to hear you use that word. It is a term of disrespect that, uh, that, that you know white people use, and I don't want to hear it around me. And I don't want you to talk. It's like, so it's like you're giving license for other people to use it. And it's like, it's like, it's a great speech. One right. of the many awesome speeches in here, but it's funny coming from Sam Jackson. So, <laughs> right. um, um, I don't want to Sam Jackson does my gym. Sam Jackson <laughs> does a great job of personifying him. So, I mean, you already kind of took my pick of the real coach Carter. So I just want to say Sam Jackson brings him to life very well. To be fair. It's also funny seeing Samuel Jackson sell us a capital one card. <laughs> uh, best supporting actor, Chad. I went with Antoine Tanner. He plays Worm, even though he's probably one of the least focused on main characters. I just 
I love seeing him on screen. I loved watching him fail with all these women. And then finally, his scene with Susan, even his comments with <laughs> Coach Carter as he's yelling, you're on top of that girl. Actually, she was on top. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Best supporting actor, Dustin. Rick Gonzalez as Timo Cruz. I, I think his character, you might think at first, like, oh, man, he just uses too much slang. Like, it's over the top. But, man, some of these kids really don't know how to stop yapping. And it's annoying in an endearing way. On top of that, I think he is the one that's torn between two worlds the most. And I think his performance, particularly in, you know, when he had, is forced to do all the punishment to get back on the team, but, but also, you know, teary-eyed in front of Coach Carter's house, I think he's given the most opportunity to shine. So I, I think it's Rick. I agree. He's given the most opportunity, and he makes the most of it. All the reasons you just said, Dustin. Rick Gonzalez, Timo Cruz, that's my pick. Chad. Hidden Jim. Lacey Beeman, who plays the aforementioned Susan. She's the daughter at the mansion. She's also Holly Benson in Dexter. It's like season five or six with hmm. Colin Hanks in it. So it's fun to see her here. She's a pretty lady. All right, Dustin. Hidden Jim. I got me a pretty lady too. Ashanti as Kira. I think it was a good role. Strong character. Not reliant on Kenyon really at all. Now, she, it, they're flirty and fun and they're in young love, but like not a dependent character. The only thing, at first I thought maybe she wasn't in school, uh, but then you see that she is in school. She's got friends, but like, I almost think it would have been better if like we saw someone who like, oh, not only is it hard, but like it's so hard and has to take care of these little babies that had to drop out of school for it. Like I thought that character could have been developed slightly differently or more, but I, I liked Ashanti's portrayal as her. She was great. And Lighten Jim's going to be, we've talked about him a ton, Mark Ellis. You don't see him. You don't think about a basketball coordinator being at right. the top of the list, like a director, like a producer, like a screenplay writer. But he's pivotal. He's really running the show and his ability to think cinematographically, like how these things need to be shot to be exciting and how he's guiding the director and the producer. Mark's, Mark had a lot to do with this, so he gets my hidden gem. Recast, chat. Can I recast an entire crowd? Like the the people that are mm. mad at the lockout. There's one guy in particular that I'm going to take issue <laughs> with. He raises his fist in anger and shakes it at Coach Carter. And it is the worst. Pantomime. Oh, you mean the media mob, not the parent-teacher no, media group. No, they're supposed to be parents. But yeah, it's within the media mob. But there's a group of parents and other supporters or whatever that are outside the gym. And there, one guy shakes his fist at Coach Carter and... He doesn't mean it. I don't believe you, <laughs> unpaid extra who shows up on film. <laughs> well, it's Sam Jackson. He's shaking his fist at. How confidently would you shake your fist at Sam Jackson? That's Nick Fury. You're waving your fist at. <laughs> right? Be careful, man. I, I understand so, all those. Like you know, if, 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 what if he gets? What if he snaps out of the role and be like, "I'm gonna slap your mother effing like"? <laughs> so, I would be um, thrilled. I would be thrilled to be smacked by Sam Jackson. Oh, he man. just singles him out in the crowd of extras. Oh, I'm going to remember <laughs> you. <laughs> they had to get literally thousands of extras for this. They did say like a sports movie uh, was like a, like a battle scene where you have to have so many principles that are out there and so many things going on. It all has to go right yeah. and all the extras. So to your point, Chad, extras matter too. So recast, Dustin. Well, I'm going after our actor, Sidney Faison, who played Ty Crane who was the generational talent, who was on the St. Francis team, who... Um, the next not, LeBron James. 
Yeah, I'm not the next LeBron James. I'm the only Ty Crane. Now, I loved his delivery of that line, but I would have loved to have an actual basketball player play him, and I'd love for that character to actually have a bigger role. But I was thinking, who would be a great player to play someone like that in 2004? J.R. Smith. (laughs) That's fun. I would love it. And here's, here's the thing I would want. I would want, oh, you know what? I'll save it for later. Oh, that's a tease again. So my recast is going to be, I'm going to go after Mark McClure. If that's a name you don't realize, it's because I'm going farther down into the cast. It is Susan's dad, the dopey, like suburban McMansion dad who comes home and is like, that's Susan, my daughter. Or aren't you a little lost? All of his lines are great. He's handed gold. Like he doesn't have hardly any lines, but they're really good. And they're good enough that you need to get a good actor in there. And Mark McClure is not one. I think Jeff Garland <laughs> is funny. Yikes. And I think Jeff Garland would do a good job on this one. So you would know him from the Goldbergs or from Curb Your Enthusiasm. I think yeah. I think it's a funny enough role. It's got to be handled with a little bit of seriousness. Also, if Jeff Garland's looking at you kind of angry, you might be like, ooh. So, you know, that's my pick. Right. There's a, there's a different threat level of is this guy physically intimidating or how quickly is he going to call the cops on me just because I'm black? Right. Yeah. Uh, best shot, Chad. I think it's when Coach Carter's just standing at midcourt after he gets the bad news of the grades. There, There's a shot prior to that of him staring at the records and you just see that they no longer mean anything to him, that he's just kind of failed in his mission. So there's a very lonely, isolating shot at midcourt. And I think that's it for me. Yeah. Dustin, best shot. That's a great shot. It's better than the one I picked. <laughs> uh, I went with uh, <laughs> Junior Battle's shot at the end. Uh, he does kind of a running hook. But the thing is, with, with that character, played by Nana Biwanyu, he becomes more emotionally on screen in the last 30 minutes. That's the one whose mom is Octavia Spencer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think he just is an emotional-looking person. Something about his his eyes kind of pop and like draw you in. I, I don't think we had enough from his character, aside from his relationship with his mom. But uh, I did like how... If, if we have it right, he was dominated by Ty Crane in the opening scene of the movie. So for him to hit what should have been the game-winning shot over over his defense, I thought that was really, like, I, I wasn't watching this at home, but I, I would have, like, stood up and cheered. Like, that, that you want to root for the guy, to for your guy to win, and I, I love that he had a chance to shine. Mine's going to be a moment where we see Rick Gonzalez doing his suicides in great pain. Well, the players are in the foreground, and we watch the determination that he has to get back on this team, Cruz, that is, yeah. and um, how they change the focus. This, this is the foreground, and they shift to the background without moving the camera, and so what's blurred shifts from being farther away to like taking out what's in the moment. It's telling two things at once. It's good camera work. I like that transition there. And, it, and just what, the intensity of his him. You, you get yeah. that in that moment. Good face and what's kind of cool is even, even when Coach is talking, the players can't stop from looking over at him having to do his punishment. Yeah, yeah, it's just palpable. The pain he's in is palpable. It's good, good camera work, good acting, all of it coming together. Best scene, Chad. For me, it's when Lyle stands up for Cruz and the rest of the team slowly joins in and they volunteer to share in his punishment. I'll do some suicides. I'll do some push-ups. I will be doing push-ups, not suicides, to, to be clear. Yeah, I do like that there was one guy, and I couldn't find his name, so he couldn't be my hidden gem. 
but whoever, I think his name was Clive or Clyde, I, I couldn't catch which one, whose sole job it was, was to track the punishment and the push-ups or the suicides. And then Coach Carter leaves. He's like, let me know. And there's 11 people out there doing different things. And this one guy- Seems like an impossible task. Right. Yeah. You just throw it up at this point. Sure, they do. Yeah. Bethany Dustin. It's when Coach comes back into the gym and all of the players are sitting in desks instead of, like, shooting. It was a surprise. Uh, there wasn't a lot in this movie I was really surprised with, because mainly because other movies like it have gone so extreme with the consequences of things. That's also the scene where Timo gives his, uh, you know, what is our greatest fear quote. Mm-hmm. The feel of the quote is important. The quote from that author, from that book, from 92, Marianne Williamson, that I don't care about the quote itself. Uh, a lot of people on the internet do. <laughs> they really love it. But it's the whole scene in general. They're like, hey, we're going to finish what we started. We, we're becoming better men. And you don't have to be watching us to do it. I, lo- I loved that. Yeah. My best scene is going to be when we talked about it already. When Cruz goes to meet Coach Carter at his house. I mean, I remember that scene vividly. It's one of the things I just most remember. It. It's, it's the warmest moment where this hard-nosed guy... You know, opens up his hand, welcomes him into his own house. You know, you see his son kind of sitting there like, what do I do? He's like, we're welcoming him in. What a warm moment. Chad, best wardrobe or makeup moment? I'm going to go with Kira's belt when Kenyon goes to reconcile with her. It's this hot pink belt. I think it looked pretty fashionable on her. So kudos to Ashanti. Yep. Well, she's always looking good. So that makes sense. Yep. Dustin, how about you? I don't know how to put this, so I'll just I'll just say it how I wrote it. Boy, Channing Tatum sure knows how to wear a hat wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be best wardrobe moment, not not worst wardrobe moment. Hey, he makes it look good. Oh, okay, okay. So my Sam Jackson moment is definitely going to be the you know, when he comes in dressed in the suit and the tie and stuff. They shoot him in such a way that you know they they make a point to take note of what it is before the kids all start like it's like. Are you some preacher man or something? Because God's not going to help you in here. Like, you know. An odd quote for the black community, honestly, to, to, to say something like that. that I, I didn't mention that earlier in the show. I just think that's a weird quote. From the interviews, it sounded like that was actually close to a real quote that happened back then. Well, that, yeah. that was from Timo, too. So it was coming from a Hispanic character, yeah. right? Which uh, is odd. even odder. Yeah. Well, apparently it actually went down that way, which makes me like the scene more. But so, yeah. You know, it's it's part of what he wears throughout the whole movie, but it, I mean, it cues up a great moment. I mean, yeah, so that's, uh, it seems simple, like Chad said. And by the way, too many uniforms. There are too many kinds of alternate jerseys. They, the school doesn't have that much money. You're so, right, they did. Like, they don't that, even have a program anymore. I know. So, I mean, they, they've over-glammed what they're wearing. I think it's okay to just wear the same two kinds of, you got white, you got, you know, or you got your yellows and you got your reds in this case, or white and red. So, I mean, having all these nice different kinds of jerseys makes no sense at all to me. Change one thing, Chad. This is where I finally get back at Dustin. So, I want more than a little snippet, and I understand why they steered away from the character of Damien, but we see him in the background a little bit. He gets that final after the guy fouls out. I think it's Junior Battle fouls out. He gets to go in, 
He gets a bucket and then he gets an assist and they win the game. Suddenly he's the MVP of the tournament. I think it almost seemed too easy of a transition. I wanted a little bit more focus on that struggle to fit in. It just seemed instant acceptance off of two plays. I I want him to earn it more. I actually completely agree with with Chad here. Damien's story needs to be more fleshed out. The the struggle between like fitting in needs to be realer or omitted. You can't omit it because he's the coach's son and it happened for real. And the story about him rewriting the contract happens. But I'm actually with you. They need more friction between him and the other teammates, especially since he came from St. Francis. Like I, I think they missed the boat with that. You got a deleted scene, and that does exactly what you're talking about. Oh, wow. Man, these deleted scenes must be good. Uh, we'll do a retro movie deleted scene table. I, they need a director's cut. I mean, that's not going to be my change one thing, but I like all the deleted stuff in here. I, I don't know. I don't... I don't, so normally I, when I watch deleted scenes, I'm just like, yeah, they didn't need that. Or like little little snippets. They have whole right. scenes in this that I'm just sitting there going like, it would add a lot of time on this movie. Yeah. So, but none of it was bad. So. Well, my change one thing is is I think Ty Crane needs to be more of like a nemesis character. This is have, the like high prospect in the other school. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. You don't I, think they like, they really laid it on thick with being a jerk. Maybe too much so. What, well, what I think would be kind of cool for someone like Junior is I'd love to see if like Ty Crane had like a wealthy life or was like getting NIL deals or so, or like you know he had a nice car. I'd like to see if like oh this kid from this other oh. place has all these things and we have nothing and maybe it could be another snippet we'll say of like the desire to be that as opposed to part of a team that only works cuz we're pushed really hard and because we run fast. I think it would just it could have been another angle. Then again, that might just be a completely different movie. I believe that you can do a couple of ways of doing that. Damien and his dad are riding in the car. You could have a radio broadcast just mentioning, talking about Ty Crane, you yeah. know, in the background. And yeah, just, And like, there's like, and like, um, you could even just have his dad dismissively say something like, you know, one great player doesn't make a team or something. Just one little clip it there. And then when they walk into the sports store, you could have like something on the T, like you can put a TV on. He so could like be that being interviewed doing- on the yep. Friday night, like mm-hmm. special news. Yeah. So there's moments that you can lay it around without like adding tons of time onto it. I like your comment, Dustin. I do think Ty Crane is presented as too much of a jerk. You can just be really good and like be intense and trash talk a little bit. But like, I don't know. It felt like they laid it on too thick as a villain, if you will. Like They laid it on too thick. Get... And I think they ease off the gas pedal. Doesn't he kind of give him a little respect, a little dab up at the end? Yeah. 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 I like, agree. like at, at least lean into it and have him like refuse to shake hands. Yeah, I just it's it's a good question. And when Chad said the guy shook his fist all wrong, I felt like that was a, one of those moments where a little rare moment for this movie where it's a little hand fisted in that moment. So my change one thing I mentioned it before. I'm saying go to actual Richmond, California. I think the authenticity of this movie's off the charts. Authenticity matters. So go to where it's shot. It's not hard to get there. So uh, the hotel that they shot it in just feels so L.A. Like that's the Safari Inn in Burbank. That's literally the movie that we saw when uh, True Romance, like when they go there and uh, terrible things happen to Patricia Arquette then that hotel too. So I mean, um, <laughs> but but, um, but it, uh, this uh, this just doesn't feel it feels like an LA movie. I, the first time I watched it, I was like, is Richmond a school in LA? And I didn't think much of it, but the more and more I kind of started coming to it and studying the actual Kench Carter and how much authentic everything was, made me wonder. That's not Mark Ellis's job. Who? Where was the site? selection 
because where was why was he not held to the same level? Best quote. This is going to be a tough one. A lot of speeches, long ones, good ones, good dialogue. Chad, do you have a best quote? Coach Carter says to them after they've gotten kind of cocky and he does the great mocking of tying his shoes. It's like, yeah, I did that. So, <laughs> so he goes on and he says, what gives you the right to taint the game I love with trash talking and taunting? And I wish more people had that attitude. Wow. That's, that's yeah. good. That is a good choice. Well performed too, by the way. He looks very sarcastically <laughs> pleased with himself at the moment. So Dustin. Everything was good, coach. I mean, you don't understand. I want to come back on the team. What do I got to do to play? Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it, okay? Timo Cruz's emotional quote there is the really, I, I couldn't choose it as both my best shot, best scene, and best quote. But I, I love the quote. Yeah, and mine's a little bit long, but it's when he said, uh, you really need to consider the message that you're sending these boys in the lockout. The same message we send to the culture of pro athletes, that they are above the law. These boys cannot honor a simple contract. How long do you think before they'll be breaking the law? I played ball here 30 years ago. It was the same way then. Some of my teammates went to prison. Some of them even ended up dead. If you vote in this lockout, you won't have to terminate me. I'll quit. Well done. All right. We've come full circle. It's now time on a... Five-star scale with half-star intervals. Chad, what would you rate Coach Carter? I am giving this first-time viewing four stars. I thought it was inspirational, it's well-executed, and I was entertained for a above-two-hour movie. It's like two hours and 16 minutes. Thought it flew by. Good, good, good. And uh, Dustin, first time for you as well. What are you going to rate this movie? And I am mirroring Chad's four stars. I'm a sucker for this kind of movie. I, I like this kind of thing. I think it's better than Stand and Deliver. If they had stepped on the gas pedal a little more instead of easing off, I I would probably go 4.5 or 5. Some of those things are just artifacts of being from 2005. Maybe this is a 3.5 movie that the soundtrack gave me a 4 because I I love the music in this. I'm not sure what it is. I know that it's above average, but I I think we mentioned plenty of things that they just didn't get perfectly. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, I, 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 really, I really do like this. Four stars. I am giving this a four stars because of how it's made and what it is. But having said that, I rewatch this movie frequently. I love it. It's, it's, it's a high up movie for my like liking it a lot. There are moments where I find myself, and we've talked about them through here, of things that I would change, or you know, there's, 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 a, there's enough things going on here that. There are enough problems that I'll sit there and say, well, I'm not going to go away. However, it is telling an important story. It is telling an interesting story that I'm glad was told. And I am inspired. I come back to it, rewatch it really super high. And I'm a basketball fan and it gives me my basketball fix. It is, uh, it's high up there. So I like it a lot. And uh, I don't often do this. Normally, if I just like a movie, I just give it a warped high rating. That's just what I do. But I do see why this is a four for me. Um, and I'm joining you all. So it's the four club today. It's the four club today. Four yeah. quarters. Yeah. All right. Hey, Dustin, you want to help me pick a movie for next time? I got three options for you. Are you ready? I am. All right. First, Spirited Away from 2001. During her family's move to the suburbs, a sullen 10-year-old girl wanders into a world ruled by gods, witches, and spirits, and where humans are changed into beasts. Option number two, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Warrior and pacifist Princess Nausicaa desperately struggles to prevent two warring nations from destroying themselves and their dying planet. Finally, option three, Castle in the Sky. 
A young boy and a girl with a magic crystal must race against pirates and foreign agents in a search for a legendary floating castle. That's right, all three options are our boy, Heyo Miyazaki. Uh, I will go with Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, 84. Studio Brad. Ghibli, first time. Well, thank you guys so much for coming to us. This was a blast. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the pick, Dustin. I think I think every year I'm going to have to fit another basketball movie in. Or, or at least a or, trouble. Or another education yeah. teacher, mentor. Apparently. Yeah. I didn't mean yeah. to. Maybe we'll <laughs> yeah. get Air Bud one of these years. Oh, I don't, don't tease me like that. <laughs> Bonus episode coming your way, I have a feeling. Right. We've done it before. <laughs> the bar's been lowered. We did Leprechaun. It opens it up to do a lot more movies than we used to do. So, the um, little DD Air Bud is me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank you, all the Lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. So we want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. So subscribe on YouTube. It's mostly audio, but. We appreciate that. Give us a like on Facebook, Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at, at movie underscore retro and email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. And producing and providing this podcast is fun but not free. So we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash retromovieroundtable. Any contributions are much appreciated and go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Chat. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who, in the name of charity and goodwill, shepherds the weak through the valley of the darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers, and you will know I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. Yeah! Pow, 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 pow. <laughs>